Welcome to Roundtail Radio. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, look for moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we talk about when we talk about faith. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Leslie. <laughs> How you doing? You seem happy. We're having fun. <laughs> <laughs> Getting off to a good start. Yes, for sure. Um, I have to start off this morning with a bit of a funny. All right. Last week, we talked about John the Baptist. We did. Um Apologies for the audio quality, guys. <laughs> we're back. We're back in our space. So everything it was a test to see now. if anyone noticed the difference. Yeah, I'm, I bet they did. <laughs> um, so, but then in the message on Sunday, you were mentioning John the Baptizer. Yes. And something about the way you said it, I started, I almost fell off my chair. I was laughing so hard. It, this is a little funny in my head because I was like, it is John. He is the baptizer <laughs> it was just like he sounded like a movie could you see it in anti in marquee like, yeah like an anti-hero <laughs> john is oh my the goodness. baptizer <laughs> and it just it made me laugh and also i never heard him refer to it like that the even ba- though the baptizer right because it was john the baptist and so i was like oh i made the obvious connection which most people i'm sure have made to the baptist tradition of like oh right that's there you are the baptizer baptist i got it now you got it it only oh, took a really long time <laughs> um and then also like made me contemplate hmm i wonder what the origin of the word baptist is and how that all like in language has worked and i figured you might have an answer so i'm putting you on the spot right now baptizo oh well there you go there it is so what I is baptized baptizo? I've been, yeah baptizo. so that is the sacred act of the the, the thing that is that is <laughs> the, the sacred act of the thing <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Eloquent. A as loose, always. a loose translation for sure. Got it. <laughs> you know, I, I love your comment about the baptizer uh, because I've noticed that in translations, mm-hmm. New Testament translations, in the last, um, well, let's just say more recent translations, mm-hmm. they uh, the translators love that term, the baptizer, the baptizer, and they're taking it away from you know the more static the Baptist. Right. So it's a more action-oriented. It is action-oriented. Yeah, it sounds like an action hero or something. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's very fun. Um, speaking of language. Yes. Uh, we had a question from one of our friends, Krista. Okay. And Krista was wondering about the origin of just the word Advent, mm. as we are now in Advent. And we all kind of, I don't know about you, but every year I'm sort of like, right, Advent. And I sort of try to figure out and navigate my way through it yeah. to Christmas. Yep. You know, it's kind of a funny transition time, I feel like sometimes. It is. And you know, before we actually say what that is, yeah, it reminds me that, well, all faiths, faiths have their own language, right? Their own vocabulary. Mm. And part of becoming involved in a faith is that you need to learn the language. Mm-hmm. And so it's... I think there's been an attempt to say, well, can't we kind of do away with all of that? Uh, isn't there a simpler way? Mm-hmm. But actually, these these uniquenesses are part of what makes every tradition special. Mm. And uh, it's it's about getting at greater depth, spiritual depth. So Advent comes from a Latin word, Adventus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can mean coming or arrival or appearance. Okay. And traditionally within Christianity, it's been used in two ways. So the advent of Jesus literally is the time he shows up and John the baptizer baptizes him. Mm -hmm. It also refers to the long held belief that there is a second coming and Jesus will appear. And that's this time of kind of universal reckoning. 
And there are references in the New Testament to that and uh, where he he makes reference to that second coming. And that's for many Christians, that's a very important part of their faith, this sense that there will finally be that evening out of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so Advent is used in both senses. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a short season. It's only a little over four weeks long leading up to Christmas. And that's a little bit of the background. I, I have to say there was, um, in some communion services, there's this language that's used that, uh, Christ has come, Christ will come again. Mm-hmm. And I remember this wonderful little boy, Justin, who was in my church school years ago. This is when the first church, he said, uh, we were talking about that. Mm-hmm. And kind of unusual for a little boy to be asking about this <laughs> this little formula you know, yeah. that appears in the communion service. And I said, well, what do you think it means? And he said, I think it means that Jesus is always coming again. that he's constantly appearing. Justin for the win. Right? Nice. I never forgot that. And I thought that is absolutely brilliant. And I think there is this, there's also a great tradition. It's, It's within many religious traditions where the spiritual leader or the teacher shows up in disguise. Mm, mm-hmm. And this is especially true of uh, the prophet Elijah mm-hmm. in the Hebrew Bible, uh, who it, it is said to this day, walks the earth in disguise. Oh, yeah. And you never know where you'll encounter him. And so there's a tradition of that within Christianity as well. Right. And I think that's kind of what Justin was getting at, that you never know where you're going to meet him. And I think that's fascinating. That is fascinating. Like the, you know, with Jesus after... When Mary comes, she doesn't recognize her because like yes, a gardener or something. That's right. She does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know you. And where have you put Jesus? Right. Yeah. And it's like, I am he. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting. Right. There is that the duality of Advent, I think, I find hard to distill into the different Sunday mornings. Mm. You know, in terms of my job as, as a musician, it's like trying to hold those two I find difficult because the the, the two senses of the coming. You mean, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. you know the 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 impending birth, uh-huh. and then as it's written in a hymnal, mind the promised coming, yes. which I like. Yep. Um. So I, you know, the a baby's going to be born. Language I find I find easier. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. There's more. It feels more hopeful. Um. And then the promise coming thing. I feel like that for me theologically is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. When I was a teenager, those, what were those books called that were so, they were about the Left rapture. Behind Left series. Behind I was obsessed. Yeah. I had all of them. Yep. yep. Like many people. Um, but I feel like that has <clears throat> no longer part of my theology <laughs> in quite the same way that it was then. And so I feel like I have complicated feelings about it. And like, it feels very tied to like, it not, doesn't feel connected with how I view all of it now. Yes. Um, so I feel like that, that part of Advent feels sticky and tricky. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I have a childhood memory of a relative, an older relative who was trying to explain this to me, I think. Heaven knows how this came up in a conversation <laughs> because ours was not a religious household. Yeah. But somebody had this idea, right, yeah. about the second coming. And I remember this person saying to me, well, Jesus is going to appear out of the clouds mm-hmm. and everyone is going to be entranced with this vision of him coming, right? No, oh, he is, comes the clouds descending. <laughs> yes, exactly. And 
I have such a memory of that conversation, that mm -hmm. moment where that person was trying to, or I was probably seven or eight years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but that, uh, that is a very powerful image. And I've seen that image depicted in art. Oh, yeah. And especially uh, in a lot of people's homes, you know, as a pastor over the years, I've seen that um, yeah. image, that, that it's a very compelling image. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm with Justin, you were just that that there's always this sense in which the spirit, this energy of Jesus, is coming into our lives, mm -hmm. and I I like the idea that it's maybe happening in some disguised ways, mm -hmm. um, because I think that fits biblically. You know that um, there's a long-standing tradition of understanding God as the elusive presence, mm. and um, so just maybe one little little comment about this, yeah. Albert Schweitzer who was a missionary to Africa, was an organist. I know. <laughs> I love Albert I'm Schweitzer. telling the wrong person here. <laughs> and uh, it did so many things with his life. Fred yeah. was also a scholar. Yes. But he, in the, in the preface to one of his famous books, which was called The Quest of the Historical Jesus, he has a, a it's about a paragraph long, but it ends with, he comes to us as one unknown. Mm. And I think that that's... That's the spirit that uh, Justin was capturing a little bit, yeah. you know, and that to me is that this coming again is always, always happening. I think for me, the thing I struggle with is sometimes around this idea of a second coming or rapture is that the idea that this earth is not, it, it feels like, you know, the earth, this, this community, this earth we share is left mm. is is no mm -hmm. longer applicable so what mm -hmm. what kind of happens here doesn't really matter mm -hmm. and i have a real problem with that right <laughs> it makes it feel like well we can do whatever we want or we can you know be harmful to our beautiful earth our beautiful creation mm -hmm. because this isn't the final resting place so it's like this is Correct. the old place mm -hmm. and i feel like that goes against um honoring god's creation mm -hmm. honoring one another um and I feel like it can create some iffy behaviors. Yes, uh, that's and a tendencies. It's a widely held theological belief, and that it's that it's maybe even articulated in this way that people might say, you know, it's a shame what's happening to the creation, and it's a shame that what we've done to the creation um, is also harming people. Um, but there will again be that that day, that great day coming by and by. Mm -hmm when um, we'll all be released from this. I actually think that that view is part of what would have been called in early Christianity as part of Gnosticism, mm -hmm. right? That the Gnostic view is that if you had the right, being on earth was not the be all and end all, mm -hmm. right? That you had to have the right knowledge from that Greek word gnosis, so that's where we get the Gnostic gospels. And if you had the right knowledge, which was the right belief in Jesus, mm -hmm. then you'd get off of this bus onto something better. Right. And Christianity ultimately uh, decided that that was not an authoritative teaching. Mm -hmm. And so by doing so, it elevated the importance of the creation. Now, unfortunately, we haven't paid real great <laughs> attention to that, but there you are. Yeah. So it's like we had the understanding, but we haven't practiced it consistently over the years. Mm -hmm. So I, I definitely, I've read some really interesting books from the creation care aspect talking about 
populations in the United States where a lot of damage has been inflicted because of the dependence on fossil fuels. Louisiana would be an example mm -hmm. where there's been so much damage inflicted to the land, you know, and as a result, sinkholes and, um, you know, cancer producing waste that's been allowed to languish mm -hmm. in rivers and streams. People eat the fish, they get sick. And um, there was a book I read a few years ago, um, Strangers in Our Own Land, I think was the title of it. But basically, a, a really wonderful journalist spending about three years in the southeastern part of the United States talking with people who articulated over and over again that view that it's a shame what's happened to creation. And it's a shame that we're getting sick because of it. But um, in the end, it'll all work out. Yeah, that shoulder shrug at the, it's, it's the butt and the like struggle, like meh. Yeah. It's so it feels yeah, it's so disconnected from love thy neighbor. And the author, you know, really struggled with this. And yeah. she writes beautifully about her struggle actually, which is that she came to love these people and care about them mm -hmm. and yet would hear them talk in this way that couldn't resonate with her theologically at mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, and and on the first Sunday of Advent, sometimes many times it's there's a focus on that end of the world language. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a passage in Mark, which is often read, <clears throat> which is kind of called the little apocalypse. And I have to say, I don't think there is such a thing as a little <laughs> apocalypse. You know, one one apocalypse will yeah. ruin pretty much everything. Yeah, right? that's, yeah, what a phrase. <clears throat> but um, that's kind of the, the, again, this whole discussion of the ending of the world. Mm -hmm. But I, but I've heard people talk about that. Scholars discuss that text to say it's not a text about the ending of the world. It's a poetic way of describing the ending of a world. Oh, okay. The ending of a worldview, mm -hmm. right? The ending of a certain way of organizing life. Mm -hmm. And it is cataclysmic when that happens. Mm -hmm. And um, we, I think, have experienced some of that coming out of the pandemic, certain certain things about our culture that we had took taken for granted are not around anymore because yeah. of that yeah. and an ending of a world mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah like a, an era or a chapter maybe yes yeah, yeah so exactly sort of big seismic shift mm -hmm. I, I mean i i'm so, i wonder what it's going to take for a seismic shift in our care of our earth mm. i wonder what mm. that's going to take and i you know i, I know a lot of people are concerned it will be too late, mm -hmm. right? A lot of things feel too late. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just, I wonder, you know, because the pandemic was so disruptive. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder what, what good we can find and what, what, how we can, what we can learn there to create major, better, bigger change. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a Christian uh, climate scientist who teaches, I think, at Texas Tech. Mm -hmm. Uh, her name is, I think it's Christina Hayhoe, and um, I th her, the title of a book that she's written, I believe, is called Saving Us, and she also has a newsletter that she puts out, and she uh, always has a good news section and a bad news section. <laughs> So that's good because you know you get the you get the best of what's going on and then you get a dose of reality. Mm -hmm. And in one sense she'll say we actually have made incredible progress in the last 10 to 15 years on all kinds of measures. Mm -hmm. And she'll discuss that. But then she will say however 
these are the the other growing edges where we haven't made progress. And mm -hmm. she'll talk about that. Mm -hmm. And then there's always a section at the end of the newsletter about what you can do. Nice. And I've really appreciated that because I think in some people's minds, the 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 advent you know of the the worst of what could be mm -hmm. feels like they're it, it's just too big for us mm -hmm. but it turns out that it isn't and it's it's a matter of staying the course and but we're still fighting ourselves mm -hmm. you know that's the real sad part of this mm -hmm. and but you raise a really good question you know that uh people are wondering if there is the, the, the more they hear these dire reports, the more they wonder if there's sufficient time to make change. Right. And there is actually time to make incredible change, some things that we can't correct, um, but a lot of things that we can do that would be helpful. Mm -hmm. So we just have to continue to work at every possible level. It's such a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, a big problem, but I think if we join together, we're a big solution mm -hmm. as, as Earth's humanity and biggest force on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you, Leslie, earlier on, you made the, you know, kind of the connection between Advent and the second coming and, mm -hmm. you know, those, all the, they're very great and long standing themes in Christian life. And I think there's a lot of truth and wisdom in those texts. They're really full of challenge mm -hmm. and they're wake up calls. Mm. And, um, you know, there's, there's a wonderful little poem by a Spanish poet, Antonio Machado. And uh, he says something like, Jesus, you know, if all of your teachings could be one word, what would it be? You know, would it be love, forgiveness, and peace? And he says, all your words were one word. Wake up. Oh, wow. Which is two words. <laughs> I know. He spelled it like one. Oh, okay. There you go. I'll take it. He's a poet. He's a poet. He can what, play with language. Do whatever he wants. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> that is brilliant. <laughs> I love that. Wake up. Wake up. And I think that's Advent. It's uh, waking up to a whole new set of possibilities. It's that great Advent hymn. Awake, awake, and greet the new morn. Right. Yeah. Angels herald his coming. Right. <laughs> it's a very, very, you know, enticing time of year. Mm -hmm. Not just because of Christmas, because mm -hmm. of that for sure, of but... Course. Also, just because of those great themes of Advent. Yeah. And uh, we miss them if we focus only on Christmas. Sure. You know, but. Yeah. <laughs> so, I kind of tell <laughs> We're you. We're doing well, our best. I just, uh, that's always the, the and also the, the secondary inner battle of Advent as an organist and director of music. Oh, is like, yes. Okay. So when, how long will I let have Advent? And then when do I just give up? And that's Christmas. Uh, you can tell how, how far I made it because we had a Christmas festival here yesterday where we sang all the Christmas carols. You bet we did. And it was the first Sunday of Advent. So in case you wonder how I've evolved over I the years. I think the gates are open. Yeah, it's fine. For all, any, anyone who worked with me in my like college years would be stunned because I was the biggest, like, I'm sorry, there are four Sunday of, Sundays of Advent. <laughs> I don't want to hear Joy of the World. I don't want to hear nothing. I don't want to hear, I don't want it. Christmas starts on Christmas. You should see my Instagram, by the way, of all oh, my organist boy. friends who are just like every year, they're like, Chris, there's 12 days of Christmas. It starts on Christmas, <laughs> which I use as um, an excuse to keep my Christmas tree up. Okay. By the way. Um, but no I excuse also, needed. Nah, it's fine. <laughs> it's always so funny. Like, how long will I let it be? We're doing, I think, about two Sundays of Advent, specifically Adventy stuff. Well, we'll head around here because we have the best Christmas pageant ever. Yes. On the third Sunday of Advent. That's right. So I, I, 
I usually give up by then. <laughs> All right. I'm not give, give in, I think is probably more accurate. <laughs> Considering we sing every Christmas carol in the pageant. <laughs> It's all out. You know, you get, no, pick your battles. Yes, you do. Pick yes, your you battles. Do. And they seem, and our, our community seems happy. So that's fundamentally my job. So. It's, it's a super good thing for sure. <laughs> it, is. Right? it is. But I think, it, isn't this just the, it, the most amazing thing, right? To have to, to want to respect the traditions. Yeah. Right. And then there's this sort of, uh, you know, title. <laughs> force coming the other direction that just wants to sweep that all away. (laughs) Um, So we, we, we mix the two, you know, keep them in conversation with each other. I was talking uh, with my husband the other day and he was like, I wish Halloween was like a month earlier and Thanksgiving was a month earlier so they could all have their due and then Christmas can take as long as it wants. Oh yeah. But like the Thanksgiving could be like more early and then Halloween isn't so cold. We had a whole thing about it. We were completely <laughs> reinventing the calendar. Because <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, I was, you know, when you're in these craft stores like a Michael's or Joanne's oh, or whatever boy, yeah. and it's July and there's Halloween stuff. I know. And by Halloween, all the Christmas stuff is oh yeah, well sold out. Yes, yeah, it's wild. Well, and that's what makes it such a crunch with something like Advent because Advent is supposedly all about waiting, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. it's the waiting for this birth of this new world mm-hmm. to happen. And I actually love that theme so much because uh, I think in the church in particular, our idea is that great ideas don't have to be forced. Mm. You know, they don't have to be force fed. They'll they'll come in their own time, which is not uh, a widely shared view necessarily. That's mm-hmm. not how corporate America necessarily works, mm-hmm. right? You have to get the idea, get it into production, kind of move, move, move. The church is encouraging kind of a whole different time frame as a as a healthier, more soulful way mm-hmm. of living on earth. And uh, so it's so easy just to push right past all of those messages of waiting. Mm -hmm. And that's the challenge is to keep that while singing, Oh, come all you faithful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's both and both and, and, uh, I think we've kind of figured it out more or less. We make it happen. Yeah. We make it happen. I think the thing I struggle with is the contrast between like the twinkle lights and the happy Mm. Christmas joy which i love yeah um and the super like everything adventy is kind of lenty in terms of yes um as as in like lent um in a terms minor of, everything's a minor yeah. yeah everything's a minor everything's minor kind of a key. downer which frankly weirdly i love i love playing in minor i love it <laughs> i know I, you do i really do <laughs> like yes it's lent like everything in minor um and we're just like, it's Leslie again. It's Leslie again. She's such a downer. <laughs> it's funny because it's such Bring a- Bring us up. Come I on. know. It's such a contrast to my actual personality. <laughs> to me, major keys sometimes sound really garish. They sound like really like aggressive in my ear and minor feels like soft and friendly. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it's like the contrast between sort of the downer yes. Advent hymn. Like, oh, come on, come Emmanuel. Like, you're like, oh. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> if you notice, I do this thing- um, so when, tiny bit of music theory. So the difference between major and minor keys is so a, a chord, major, minor chords. There's, you know, to make a chord, you need three notes. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's major, the, th- the third is in one place and minor, the third is down a half step. That's ah. the only thing that changes. Yep. Um, so if you don't have that third, that middle note, mm-hmm. 
you don't know what the key is. Mm. If you only have two notes, mm-hmm. the first and the fifth, mm-hmm. um, you don't know what key it is. So that's called an open chord. Okay. And so I make a habit because I don't, I kind of refuse to do what's called a Picardy third, which is when you're in a minor key and you end in a major chord. They're like, it hurts my body. Um, <laughs> but I, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, it's cringy um, and cringy. Uh, but so what I, I'll do instead of like ending a minor um, hymn on a minor chord, I'll just leave it open and I'll leave the third out. Mm. So I always look at Dustin because the tenor often has the third in the key oh, in I the see. chord. So I'd look at Dustin. I'm like, we're leaving it open. He's like, okay. <laughs> He'll jump to a different note and then we leave it open. So it sort of sounds medieval because you get a fifth. Uh-huh. It's just this open sound, but it leaves this sense of like, what is it? Right. What's going to happen? Love it's it. a, like a question mark at the end. I love that. Yeah. Now I know a little bit of what's going on behind the scenes. Hey, hey. I've done that for years. Because I, I don't want to leave, to me, like ending on the minor key, it just feels kind of like, Meow. Yeah. But yeah. landing on the major is like, oh, no, I can't do that. Yep. But leaving it open is like, hmm? Mm, I love that. Ending on a question. Ending on a question. Hmm. Is it major? Is it minor? What's going to happen next? Right. Right. I love it. And you know, I think a lot of us pick this up. We don't know the theory behind it. Yeah. But we we kind of get it, you know, we, we can hear it. Yeah. And I know that we're very fortunate because we're part of a community of people that listen very carefully mm. and they appreciate that very much. Very much. So, you know, we get to we get to notice that that's happening, even if we can't articulate why. Yeah. I think that's fun. And I think that it just goes to show for how many hundreds of years we've depended on people who know how to do these things, <laughs> right? To make those decisions. Mm-hmm. And then we, we our, our hearing is shaped by that. I could do a series of podcasts just on playing hymns wow. and all the micro decisions that organists make yeah. in order to shape your experience, the language, mm-hmm. the meaning. We can change whole meetings mm-hmm. of things. Sure. Um, by where we pause and where we breathe. And we have a, such a thoughtful choir and they're always asking questions about like, do we breathe here? But that might change the meaning. Thanks for listening. Roundtill really Radio was brought to you by the friends and members of Roundtill Community Church. Um, for more information, it's a, it's please a whole visit roundtillradio.org. Well, I think that, you know, as your, your comment about the choir, just changing the, the breathings or changing the emphasis mm-hmm. and, and how that affects the text mm-hmm. and how we understand it. Um, and I guess that's in some ways what we're doing with the, the seasons, you know, yeah. when they go from Advent to Christmas to Epi- Epiphany and on through the year, that we're we can we can play with that. Yeah, you know, one of the famous ones. I think we talked about this in one of our Christmas Carol podcasts that we've we've done in mm-hmm. years past. Um, is in a little town of Bethlehem, yes. the last line of one of the verses. I think it's the first one, um, where meek souls will receive, receive. him. Where's the comma? Right. <laughs> in some versions, it's after where meek souls will receive him. Comma, still, still the decrease enters in, mm. or where meek souls will receive him still. Yep, the dear Christ enters, enters in. in. Mm-hmm. It's a different. It, it's different. It is different. It's different. Yep. It depends on the. Sometimes it depends on the hymnal. Mm-hmm. My orchid teacher, I think, had a very. He was. He would always move it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> it like alternate year to year. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, that's one way of handling it, right? You know, you keep it, keep it fresh. <laughs> Well, I think that's a great lesson because if you're part of a tradition where the it can change, mm-hmm. you can, yeah. somebody can make a decision about that. That yeah. that's actually communicating quite a, a religious truth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that other things can change. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I love that. Love that spirit of openness. Yeah, it's good. I think the comma in the eighty-two hymnal is before the still, which I think it's 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 where you don't expect it to be. Okay, which is interesting. So it's always interesting to think about. I think about that every time we do that hymn. I thought about it yesterday. <laughs> I'm going to think about it now. Yeah, we were singing. I was like, oh, where's the comma? Because <laughs> I didn't have enough to do. Yeah, exactly. Move it around. <laughs> you know, time to let your mind wander. <laughs> well, I think that, you know, I feel fortunate in my life that I've been around a lot of people who feel that the traditions run fluid, you know, <laughs> yeah. and that they can be adjusted and adapted and thought about and experimented with i think yeah i think for me it's that kind of i remember uh in music theory class being taught basically you know a lot of my friends and and classmates were like breaking the rules left and right and for doing different music things and my teacher was like you have to know the rules to break them Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. to bend them the way that makes sense and to you know to keep you know so i feel like for me Knowing the traditions, having been, you know, I've served in a lot of different religious, uh, you know, Christian traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I only try to, I only try to break the ones I know, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm sure no, I'm breaking does. plenty. I don't, but I try to at least like think about the origins of them. And I'm like, am yes. I, am I keeping true to something that, that feels meaningful to me? And am I just expressing it in a different way? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or sometimes I just like, eh, don't feel like it. <laughs> Depends on how I'm feeling that day. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I think that that's what keeps the spiritual journey exciting mm. and engaging, mm-hmm. right? That you're making those decisions, you're considering how to do it differently, and we get to benefit from that. So that's that's kind of a plus for everyone. It's interesting. It's also interesting, I think, also as an organist, Playing these carols that I've played every year mm-hmm. for, let's see, been at this for professional organs for 20 years now. Mm-hmm. So I've played them at least 20 times, yep. right? And sometimes yep. two, three times a season. So I've played them a few times now. Um, it was actually funny. I was <clears throat> uh, talking with Robert, who came, my friend Robert Kwan, he's an incredible musician. He's a doctor from Eastman, by the way. Oh, heavens. <laughs> I know. <laughs> ridiculously talented um, and ridiculously smart. He's a wonderful, wonderful musician. And he came and played Christmas carols yesterday. <laughs> I was like, can you come play so I can wave my arms and be encouraging? Um, and he was so funny because he was, you know, up in the loft, which is a tough place to be when you're trying to like keep it together with the brass and, you know, try to keep everything together. And of course he did an incredible job. Um, but uh, he was saying, he was like, sometimes I was just playing the Christmas carol and just looking at the mirror, making sure I was with you. We were staying together and all that stuff. And he's like, I just sort of forget where I was and then just sort of find it again. Oh, my and, heavens. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that's sort of the way because it's just it's like built into our bodies. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of, this is what I'm, I'm enjoying. We're talking about music. <laughs> this is great. So yesterday in the morning service, we we uh, we had a different expression of praise, which was after the doxology. We went yes. and sang Angels We Have Heard on High. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you... <laughs> The experience in my body trying to do that was like you should. The choir was laughing at me so hard. We were. I was fascinated by the transition. It was a whole thing. So what? So we normally do the doxology, uh, which is old old hundredth, which is in G major, and then I will either modulate to F major or B flat, which is for musicians 
not a great they're not friends uh-huh it's like it's a little oil and water it. so it's always it's a it's rough it's rough on the best of days and i've sort of made it work and they're just kind of used to how i do it and i just sort of like you have and we're an f major now <laughs> i'm sure our friend mary joe heath who also is doctor from eastman in music theory um just she just ignores it now <laughs> but so angels we have heard on high is an f major so I'm doing my whole like we're in throwing nostalgia, we're in G major, and now we're gonna go to F major, and my brain is on autopilot and my body is on autopilot, but I'm like, no, I have angel I was going, Angels we have oh, wow. Angels we have and I and I was like repeating it to myself and the choir's like, You can do it, you can do it. <laughs> and so then I morphed into it and my whole body was like <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's like when you hit a piece of metal with a hammer, oh, yeah. it was like boing. <laughs> the weirdest thing because every sunday i've played here we have done that and it's become part of my 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 body of just like this is what i do and i'm not paying attention when i do it normally i'm just like this is how it works and the more i keep my brain out of it the better like i just let my body do the thing um so seven years of it it makes it tough to do something else (laughs) (laughs) well i was actually aware that there was going to have to be a transition i thought i wonder how this is going to sound yeah well it turned out the same because it's the same uh modulation i have to do modulation mean going from one key to another um but it it, (laughs) i I, I loved it (laughs) it worked out fine but i got shivers down my spine (laughs) and you know who knows about these things that are going on right in the life of a musician right in the service right yeah we just we hear it we just think everything is proceeding (laughs) according to good order and it'll all work out in the end i have to tell you i love the way our choir loft is set up because well the congregation can't see my face but they can see the choir's face yes (laughs) and the number of knowing looks the choir and I give each other during a service is high. Oh, that's great. Is high. So we were the choir and I were having a moment because they were appreciating the like struggle. Yes, yes. <laughs> Somebody gets it. Somebody so they get so there's lots of like you, you can do it, you got it. They were really cheering <laughs> me on. I appreciated that. Oh, I love they that. They were very encouraging. Oh my goodness. And we had a really full choir on Sunday morning. Yeah, Our it friends was were wonderful. Back. I love her choir. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I completely agree. And it makes it such a rich experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. Have all those voices. Absolutely. Uh, It just, it's, it's so fun to sing together. It's so good for a person's mental health and physical health. Yeah. Challenges your brain. It's good. It's good. Do you notice in the the Christmas festival program that more ways to celebrate Christmas, the first thing was like, come sing with a choir. I did notice that. I probably won't be joining you, but still, I appreciated the invitation. <laughs> I told the choir I had put it first. I was like, that's what happens when the organist makes the program. I want to put it first. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I, I just want to pick on or pick out that one, the idea about our, our well-being, mental well-being, physical mm-hmm. well-being. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are the beneficiaries of all the great music that you produce and create with the choir. But, you know, when you listen to music and you sing, it's just so good. And I, every time I walk into a sanctuary and sing, I think to myself, this is such an odd thing to be doing. I mean, how many places are there mm. in our world where adults go into a gathering or a meeting and are expected to sing? Yeah. You know, where that's actually... It's so lost now. A given. It's. I think it is lost. You know, there are even... Um, 
It was funny because I was watching a football game recently, and this was in a city where there's clearly some team songs that have developed. And I thought, wow, they're still singing. I don't hear that that often, but, you know, it's still around. Yeah. But it's definitely not as, you know, pervasive as it was. And it makes it all the more important for us to be doing it um, in our own context i love the with the european football <clears throat> tradition that all the teams they have oh just yes. great, great songs everybody's got great team songs yes i love that so much i will say i feel like for me especially and now as a parent of a young person that to me singing and dancing mm. and just moving your body mm-hmm. feels so fundamental to what it means to be a human yeah like yeah. moving your body to music we the way Mary Bear just goes drop, 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 yeah. all day long. <laughs> She's like, what? This is super normal. This is exactly what I need. Yeah, this is what feels good. I'm yeah. going to do this. And singing and expressing yourself. It's, you know, I feel like we, we need to finding, finding a, uh, re- reclaiming that mm-hmm. feels mm-hmm. fundamental to who we are as a person, that creativity and just expression. And mm-hmm. again, an entire other series of podcasts we could do about that. It's waiting. It's waiting for us. <laughs> it's great. So um, I'll Advent. cut us off here. Advent. 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 We're there. We're at the beginning and we're going to keep going. We're singing Christmas carols in Advent. We're singing Advent carols in Advent. It's a duality and we're making it we're work. We're going to live with it. I like it. I love it too. It's great. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We're so glad you join us in this conversation. Roundhill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Roundhill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillradio.org. 